Let me invite you to um, grab a Bible. I hope you've brought one. If not, there's maybe one in the pew in front of you that you can borrow. But we're going to uh, take a look at Matthew chapter 2, so you can turn there um, in advance of my reading it. But let me say just a couple of quick things about the schedule this weekend, just to reiterate what Chris has said. Um, Saturday is Christmas Eve. We'll have a service here at 4.30, one at 6. If, by chance, your schedule permits, and you can come the 6 o'clock service, I think you will um, uh, be glad you did. Uh, usually the first one is very crowded. So um, see if you can come the 6. If not, we'd love to have you at the 4.30. The other thing is, of course, <clears throat> that means that Christmas falls on Sunday. And every year, every time Christmas falls on Sunday, there's this, this huge conversation that breaks out online. Uh, and my grandson sent me this this week about eight reasons why we should close and eight reasons why we should stay open. And um, um, I was particularly offended by one of the articles, one of the arguments. And the argument went like this, that one pastor said, I always like to give my people one Sunday off every December. There's two things I, I see is wrong with that. First of all, you're not my people. You don't belong to me. Um, I, I, don't, I don't give you something. You know, the, the gifts come from Jesus, not from me. The other thing is, I have no right to give you permission to violate one of the commandments that he gave. And as you know, he gave a commandment about one day in seven. It's called the Sabbath. So we're not going to close. We wouldn't dream of closing. Um, we know that some of you will be prevented from coming. We understand that. But we'll be here, and a worship service will take place, and we hope that you can be with us. It's at 11 o'clock. We put it at 11, hoping that that will give you plenty of time to accomplish everything that you need to accomplish uh, that morning. But if not, we understand. But we're going to be here uh, in, a, in, a, in a worship service. It's probably going to be briefer than the normal ones, but we're going to be here Christmas morning. Hope to see you there. Now, you follow as I read that which is inerrant, but I, I would love to add something to it that is not inerrant. I won't, but um, I love this story. And I would love to read it to you something like this. <clears throat> Once upon a time. But guys, this is not a fairy tale, but it's a great story. It is a great story. So... Um, as I read it, think of it as a story being told you, because that's exactly what's happening. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to, to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, 
the star that they had seen when it rose, when went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The grass withers and the flower fades, but not this, not this word, this endures forever. Guys, um, I love this little story for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons that I want to show you, it's, it's found in verse one. Did you notice the behold in verse one? Um, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod and King, behold! <laughs> what, what the author is doing here is that he's begging you to ask the question, well, what did happen after Jesus was born in Judea or in Bethlehem of Judea? What happened? And then he goes on to tell you. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of action in this story. There's, a, there's some history there's some geography. I mean, we could spend time talking about the east. Where's that? Or we could talk about um, the Herodian dynasty, which is uh, multifaceted. We could talk about Bethlehem. We could talk about Magi, the wise men, you know. What are they? Um, how many of them were there? You know, um, we, we've come upon three only because there were three gifts. There could have been more. I, I don't know. I, I do know, I think that the, I think it's the Greek Orthodox Church that's given the three guys names. There's no names in here. Um, I think one of the names was Crispus. I think he was a head of lettuce or something, but <clears throat> there's no names to the wise men. Gang, uh, all I'm saying is to, to waste our time with that would be to um, miss the point of the storyteller. The storyteller wants wants you to ask, well, what happened after Jesus was born? Because that's what he's going to tell you. The arrival of Jesus Christ set in motion all of this activity. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, before he's ever said a word, Before he's ever taught a thing, people are giving him gifts. Not only that, there's a whole lot of people who are very nervous about the fact that he's come. So, what I want us to consider this morning is the various responses to Jesus' arrival. He mentions three, but actually there are only two. You see, there's either Jesus is a stumbling block or he is a savior. But you do get two examples of him being a stumbling block. So we're going to look at three. We're going to look at three responses to his arrival. What happened after he, ar- he arrived? Well, three things. At least three things, at least for now. Uh, it had to do with the response of uh, Herod. It had to do with the response of all Jerusalem. That's in there. 
and had to do with the response, of course, the wise men. So that's what we're going to look at. The, the various responses that occurred um, after the arrival of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, the, we, we come first to the um, kind of the unhappy side of the story. Um, because we get these two responses that are, mm, they're not good. <laughs> um, the first one has to do with Herod. Now, gang, there, there are lots of Herods. There's Herod the Great, there's Herod Agrippa, there's Herod Philip, there's Herod, Herod um, Antipater. There's, all, there's a bunch of them. But this one, this is Herod the Great. This is the granddaddy of them all. This is the one who was known to be ruthless, who was known to be murderous. He's the one that ordered uh, the, the slaughter of the, the children in Bethlehem. In fact, not only is he known for that slaughter, but he also murdered his own wife and a couple of his children because he was threatened by their, their existence. So that's who this guy is. And so the, um, the wise men seek an audience with him, which they get. They come into his presence and they say, and this is the first mistake, uh, excuse me, sir, could you tell me where we could find the king of the Jews? <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Herod's uh, uh, feeling this question. He says, mm, um, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. Uh, I mean, the Romans may be the king of the Jews. I mean, the Magi asked the king of the Jews where the king of the Jews is. Uh, that's not good. That, that, um, that, doesn't, that doesn't play well with, with Herod. Uh, and he is um, uh, thinking in his own mind that, uh, wait, wait just a minute now here. I, I'm the king of the Jews. And anybody uh, who is going to uh, threaten that is just going to have to be eliminated like he did with his wife and two of his sons and the slaughter of the children in, in, in Bethlehem because there's no more kings but me. There's only one king here and the Magi walk into the presence of the king of the Jews and ask where is the king of the Jews? Not a good move. But there's another mistake they made. Um, you'll see it in verse 2. Uh, he says, um, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, look at it, his star. What? There's somebody out there that's greater than me? I mean, the, the, the guy that you're looking for, I mean, he's not saying this, he's thinking it. Um, th this guy that you're looking for uh, has property over which I don't rule? No way. And his response, we're told, um, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. You bet he was. It's an interesting Greek word. The word is terasso, which means to, um, to throw into a state of confusion. Herod is thrown into a state of confusion. Why? Because there has been a suggestion that there's another king out there. And his response to hearing that was a mass murder, a nuclear option, hostility. I don't want any other kings 
accept me. And Herod is troubled, thrown into a state of confusion by an infant. <laughs> you see, <clears throat> this, this possibility of a new king out there, that, that threatens my rule. And I don't like that. Um... I'm, 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 I'm going to lose my throne, you see, if there's another king. And if I lose my throne, that means I, I will lose control. And you all know how we love to be in control. Because for Herod, the whole world revolved around him. It's about me. So this message, this suggestion that there was another king... I can't have that. Guys, um, do you think that anybody like that still lives on? Do Do you think that anybody who thinks like that could possibly be here this morning? You know, um, folks whose response to the proclamation of the gospel in their presence it's very much like Herod's. They hear this thing about the arrival of a savior and they say, wait, 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 wait just a minute. I'm king here and I don't want any other king to kick me off of my rightful spot, which you know is a throne. I, I certainly don't want anyone telling me how I'm supposed to run my life. Because I run my life. I'm the king of this life. And I don't want anybody telling me what I can and can't do. So as for the existence of another king, just kill him. Because I'm not giving up my place of leadership in my own life. Any of you think like that? Then I want you to know that your legal heir, your legal progenitor, was a man named Herod. And you think just like him. You know, um, Herod lived in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is about six miles from Jerusalem. But unlike the Magi who traveled hundreds if not thousands of miles to get close to him, Herod wouldn't travel six. Because you see... Supposedly, he's another king. And I won't stand for any other kings. And even though I may be close, there's a whole lot more distance between me, than six, between me and him than six miles. 
There's another response that I want you to see. It's a part of the unhappy side of the story. It has to do, and you'll see it in verse 3, when it says, um, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod wasn't alone. All of Jerusalem responded in the same way. Um, they're they're terrassoed too. I mean, they're they're thrown into a state of confusion too. They're I mean, they're troubled too. I mean, um, uh, Herod may uh, openly uh, uh, hate him, but this other crowd they may not be openly hating. But they're just, let's say, um, indifferent. Um, don't, don't bring some new king in here. He's just going to mess everything up. I don't, I don't want to hear about this new king. Oh, I, I know that Herod's a scoundrel. But as, but as long as nobody upsets the apple cart, uh, you know, I, I could care less. Because, you see, ultimately, this is all I want. I want to be left alone so I can run my own life. Don't talk to me about another king. Just leave me alone. Hey guys, you, you realize, of course, I'm sure, that included in this term, all Jerusalem, would have been the religious establishment. In fact, Herod calls them in and says, by the way, uh, where is this, uh, you know, supposedly the king of the Jews thing? Where is he supposed to be born? And they knew. They knew what Micah 5.2 said. They were scholars. They were religious experts. But they don't take one step towards Bethlehem. Not one. Ah, you know, too busy. And I've got a vested interest in keeping things status quo. Oh, I can't stand Herod. But you see, if we get a new king, I may be out of a job. Or even worse, I may have to give up my pet sin. And I like my pet sin a whole lot more than I do this idea about a new king. So, um, I won't be going to Bethlehem. I got too much shopping to do. You see, it's in my best interest says all Jerusalem to simply ignore all this so this 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 rumor gets out onto the streets of Jerusalem and all of Jerusalem hears this silly tale about another king and their response was one collective Oh, hum. And then they went back to their shopping. Oh, I don't hate Jesus, they said, like Herod does. I just don't see any need for him. Um, as, as long as, um, as he leaves me alone, 
Um, I don't care what you do. As long as I can continue to run my own life and, and uh, chase after my little playthings, I, I really don't care. The text says that they were troubled. But they weren't troubled enough to take one step towards Bethlehem. You reckon any people like that live today? Maybe here in this room? Oh, I don't consider myself a hater of Jesus Christ. You know, live and let live. But I can tell you this much. Nobody's going to be running my life but me. And so I just want him to leave me alone. And, you know, you go his way and and I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard this story about denouncement of sin and the need for repentance. I, I, I didn't hear much about this promise forgiveness thing and this, this whole idea of unmerited favor and, uh, and the damning of my own self-righteousness. Yeah, 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 it's a, it's a bit troubling. But I'm not going to Bethlehem. Oh, my friend, you're deceived. And so deceived you are that even though you might be troubled, you have no interest in finding the remedy. You're just like all Jerusalem who are troubled but did nothing. Now, that brings us to um, really the happy part of the story, the, 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 the other response that's in this text, the, the, the response of the, the wise men. Um, they certainly are the main characters of this little story. And um, <clears throat> they... Um, um, are wise men from the east. They're students of astronomy. They're astronomers, whatever, they, you know, however you want to define them. Uh, I mentioned a moment ago, there are three of them. We think because there were three gifts, there could have been more. I can tell you this, they're certainly not named in the text. I don't know where those three names came from, but they didn't come from here. Um, but uh, there could have been more than three. I, there's probably not 300 of them. Um, I, I say that because of something said in 1 Corinthians 1 that says not many wise, but some wise, a few wise, a handful of wise. They, they, um, they, they pursue him. Um, but the other thing that we're not told is that why is it that they, that they um, took this trip in the first place? What, what prompted them to take this trip? We're, we're not told. But it seems that they're drawn. We are told one thing. I think a very substantial fact. In verse 2 when it says, For we saw his star. Um, a star drew them. Um, one that they knew belonged to 
him. I don't know exactly who he is at this moment. But this thing, this, we're experts in astronomy, you see. And the thing that we tended to worship stars, this star is altogether different. And this star is, um, is beckoning unto us. And not only that, this star moves. You see that in verses 9 and 10, the star moved. Um, and, and, and they see his hand behind this moving star. They know that this is no comet, no supernova, no, no conjunction of planets. They know that something supernatural is behind all this. And, and if I could take just a brief aside, ladies and gentlemen, may I assure you that if every voice on the face of this planet stops preaching the gospel, God will use stars to draw his people to himself. So they know that there's something supernatural about this. And then read on in verse two. Uh, For we saw his star when it rose and we've come, we've come to worship him. We've come to worship the one to whom this star belongs. And they eventually do, but it's in verse 11. But they don't go there first. That's interesting to me. The star doesn't take them from the east directly to Bethlehem. The star takes them from the east to Jerusalem. Why? I have a suggestion. Obviously, God is up to something. But you see, their first stop is at the palace. You know, the palace. That's where you find royalty. That's where royalty is supposed to be. And we're looking for a king. So we ought to go to the palace. But when they go inside, they find Herod. And after listening to this madman for a while, the, the, the text says that, um, verse 9, after listening to the king, after listening to him Babylon for a while, they leave, and the star reappears. Apparently it, has, it had disappeared for a few minutes. One commentator I, I heard suggested Oh, how glad these guys were that the star had moved on. They had just been in the seat of power. And there was nothing there worthy of their worship. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I think God is up to. What he does, I think, was that he's teaching them and us that what we so long for you know prestige and power and status and money the thing that we hope will ultimately meet our needs it ain't over there 
It's not over at the palace. And they walk out saying, oh my goodness, I sure am glad the star's moving because there's nothing in there that's ever going to address our needs. And so the star leads them, the star moves, and they're, the, the, the very thing that we're searching for, the star is now in charge and is moving them there. And the star takes them to a stable. No! Look at verse 11. They don't go to a stable. They go to a house. <clears throat> I love to say this, ladies and gentlemen, but it's going to ruin your Christmas. <clears throat> All of those nativity scenes that you've got in your house, they need to be adjusted. The Magi did not show up at the stable. They showed up at a house. By this time, Jesus is probably two years old. He's, he's, uh, he's a toddler. But they show up at the house and then read the text with me. Look at the text. And going into the house... They saw. What did they see? Or at least what all did they see? I don't know. But what they saw was vastly different from what they saw over at Herod's house. And then you're told in the text, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down. And they worshipped. They walked in. They saw the toddler. And they said. It was you wasn't it? It was you all along. It was you that's been drawing us. They've been drawn by the irresistible charms of Jesus Christ. That star, that star that we've been following, that star belongs to you, doesn't it? And then, having sensed that, they did what all saved people do. They worship. You're the one who owns that star, aren't you? And who is that you? A two-year-old. They saw something that in, in him that evoked worship. And they kneel and worship. Notice in the text, not Mary. They worship him. They give gifts not to Mary. They give gifts to him. And then verse 12 tells us that they go home in another way. You bet they did. All that glitz and glamour over at Herod's house, that stuff's dangerous. All that stuff that we tend to worship... All that stuff that we think will meet our needs. It becomes dry as dust. When you see. Him. <laughs> and then they go back to their home. Wherever that is. And they can't 
They cannot wait to tell their friends and family what they found or who they found in Bethlehem. Guys, this is a story about how certain people, even kings, fear him and many hate him. But it's also a story about the masses who are indifferent to him, which is nothing more than a more subtle form of hate. But you see, people whose eyes have been opened to see who he is They worship him. And they know that those stars belong to him. And they are drawn to him irresistibly. And if I could summarize this story in a sentence or two, it would go something like this It's a story about people who seem to be near to him. When in fact, they are far. As close as six miles, and yet there's an eternity of space between him and them. And yet God delights to go get the ones who are far off. And bring them near. My dear friends, you must not rest having seen the star. Your soul can only rest in the one to whom those stars belong. Worship him. Our Father, uh, what a grand, incisive story. Talking about how people respond when they hear about Jesus Christ. And the Herods and the Jerusalems, they live on. They live on today. And people who are indifferent and people who are openly hostile. But they also live on in the people, so many of them in this room, who have seen the great beauty of Jesus Christ and find their great joy in worshiping him. Father, would you, would you do that again? Would you open more eyes? Would you bring people who are far off, would you bring them near? even though they might appear to be near when they're really not, would you bring the ones who are in this room who are far off, would you bring them close? Would you open their eyes and allow them to see that this Jesus is the only remedy there is for the broken soul? Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name.